Hey everyone, and welcome to The Nostalgia Effect, the podcast where we examine movies from our childhood through the lens of adulthood. As always, I'm Amy, and we have Joe and Johnny Hello. today. Yellow. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's going to be kind of a sad episode, but it's a celebratory episode, I would say. Yeah. Celebration of life. A celebration of life and a celebration that I'm finally watching what, Joe, I think we consider a secret shame for me. I think so. It's a seminal film. Yeah. Actually, when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever actually seen it all the way through Lethal Weapon. I'm pretty sure I've only seen bits of it. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, really? but it well, could be a mistake. We'll get, we'll get we'll into get that after we'll we talk there. some trailers. Um, our, oh, we got a lot of Disney trailers that dropped today. Yeah, somebody fumbled them. Just like, Wow. Amy keeps using the word drop, and Joe gets very confused. He gets very nervous. He's very nervous. I don't like seeing things fall. Yeah, no. It means release, Joe. Yeah. Can you hear me? Disney released a couple trailers today. There was also a trailer for the new Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch, which I did not watch because I think we talked about this when the first trailer dropped, like, a while back. I'm doing an experiment with this one where I'm not watching the trailer at all. Hmm. Just going into it completely blank. That's my favorite way to go into a film. To see if I like it. It's my it. least favorite way of going into a movie. I like to know everything about the movie before it happens, and then I want to <laughs> see it happen, and then I need somebody to explain it to me afterwards. Because so. <laughs> he wasn't paying attention. Because he wasn't yes, really interested right. in exactly. the movie to begin with. <laughs> That's why the trailers help. You just piece it all together. You don't have to pay attention. Well... The, fir the first trailer I think we should talk about is one that would probably be very close to mine and Joe's hearts. Not necessarily Johnny's. It's the new mm, really Disney one. Plus <laughs> series produced by the only The Rock behind the attraction. I guess it's produced by his production company and The Rock just happened to be there. Yeah. Are, so are those the two? He's promoting <laughs> his movie. Uh, yeah. It, it, it did feel, um, Johnny, before before this said that it, it felt like... Uh, um, like this was well, an I advertisement like for Jungle Cruise. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of what it feels like. But uh, you know, Disney Plus does that sometimes. But, you know, with their shows, they're like, "Oh, yeah. here's the thing to ties into this movie." I, I but yeah, yeah, I thought. It, it, but it's more. It's Jungle Cruise is just like one of the rides. Right. They yeah. Show. It's like a There's it's like a docu series about I'll, I'll, the different rides. Right. Like different, you know, popular ones. But I'll bet you anything that whatever week lines up with the release, whatever episode week lines up with Jungle Cruise, that'll be the one that they, that they do. Yeah, the, yeah. it's coming out next Wednesday, and Jungle Cruise comes out the Friday after, like, not the, that Friday, mm -hmm. but the next Friday. Yeah. So I think the second episode will probably be Jungle Cruise. Yeah, that would make mm, sense. Nice. Um, I, so, you know, I thought it was funny, this, this, this trailer, because it did, there's this voiceover in it that I really hope is not emblematic of the rest of the show because I found it obnoxious. Yeah, it feels very, like, it's like, I don't know. You guys watched the Animal Kingdom thing where it, like, had a narrator going through and, like, kind of talking about the different the, animals and stuff. I feel like you watched it, Joe. You love Animal Kingdom. I do love Animal Kingdom. And I, and I, is it the, the one that Josh Gad narrated? Yeah. Yeah. I think he narrates that. There's, like, five or six episodes, mm -hmm. and each one talks about, like, different animals in certain areas of yeah. the park. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not, I, I, I have no trouble with, with narration what i don't like is when the narrator is pretending like they're my friend you know yeah what are you talking about joe you're friends with a bunch of narrators well that's not entirely <laughs> wrong but uh and it's not as if i narrate my own life 
But um, mm-hmm. no, it's it's just I, I kind of find it a little obnoxious because there's always a side commentary. And mm-hmm. usually, you know, in the writing, I think they try to make it clever and witty, but it ends up coming off as snide um, and self-important. You know, like it calls attention to itself in a way that is unwelcome. And I, and I, I felt that with this trailer, um, especially mm-hmm. and, and especially the bit where she says, you know, produced by Dwayne Johnson and then two other people as if I'm supposed to know who the hell they are. And I feel like that's the bit that's bothering you the most, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't like, like you not knowing things. You're personally offended. Yeah. You're personally offended by this lady saying these names, and you were like, I don't know who these people are. I'm going to take that as a defense. Yeah, right. Half that's, the time those you don't know who words. any of the producers are anyways, unless they're like the actors per, as the, for their production company or just being like a co-producer. I'm wondering, you know what I want to know? I'm wondering how many emails were sent to make that to 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 include uh-huh. those other people's uh-huh. names uh-huh. in the voiceover because because we've worked at companies deal? before and this this is this is not an accident it's very specific yeah. and i think it's very very funny well and it's funny too because then you know because you're right there yeah. the, the, there's the rock and then there's other two people who are not producers the rock. that but we do not part know of his his seven bucks production company like the first thing that they say is like his co-producer on everything, like literally everything Seven Bucks does. That is his mm-hmm. co-producer. Mm-hmm. The other yeah, person I've never I mean, heard of before. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, nobody knows. Who well, that is. what's what's funny though is that they also mention that Dwayne Johnson is a producer on it, and yet we've already seen him on screen. Therefore, calling out that he's an executive producer on it doesn't really matter because we already have seen him on screen. We already know he's involved. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, but then, but if you know, it could just be like, oh, it's just a rock, yeah. you know, showing yeah. up. But where it's like, this is the rock. Yes, so. You want to believe this is a passion project of his, all right? I suppose. He, also, he loves Disneyland rides. He also, in the bits that they showed of him, came across as feeling kind of kind of stiff, you know, as if he's not actually talking to anybody. He's just talking to a camera extemporaneously. Yeah. yeah. You know, rather than his charming self. It was probably, I feel like they did that, it was the same kind of thing during um, DC Fandom last year when they were announcing Black Adam. He felt very stiff Uh and weird, probably because he was just in a studio with a camera person or something because of COVID restrictions or something, I don't know. Probably, there's, I I, I do wonder when this was, when this was put together, you know, because it might have, it might have been put together as... You know, uh, like if if this has been sitting around on the shelf for a while, essentially waiting to mm-hmm. promote Jungle Cruise, um, or if it was, you know, I I just I, I I wonder. I have a feeling that because it's like it's so tight in with Jungle Cruise, at least from the trailer, and because The Rock is producing it, it has been sitting on the shelf since last summer when the Jungle Cruise was supposed to be out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Uh... Right. It was supposed to come out. Or, I, don't know, I I just assume I forget that these movies have been done for a while. Yeah, there's just yeah, like Black Widow has been done for like almost two years now. Oh yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen that one. You gotta, behind. you gotta go I'm see it in the theater. On everything, dude. He's Johnny's everything. too cool. He's waiting for for Marvel no. to be uncool before so he can go see I it. I have ironically. too much work. <laughs> <laughs> so I was gonna ask, will you still watch it? I know Johnny probably won't. He doesn't care about Disneyland that much. Oh, yeah, <laughs> certainly. No, I'll check it out. I, I mean, I'll check it out if it's something interesting. If it's like a... I don't know. It depends on how long it is. If it's like an hour and a half each episode. Oh, no. Probably it's not. probably going to be like 45 minutes max. I don't know. that. Uh, episodes. The other one, the... Um, 
the Imagineering one. But that, that really went into episodes. a lot of detail that, like, I don't think right. that this is going to be a lot of, like, it's not going to be that extensive, I don't think, because that went into, like, not a dec like, it went into eras of Disneyland and the Disney parks, whereas this one, it's just going to go into probably a somewhat extensive but mostly brief, like, TLDR versions of ride history. Yeah, Interesting. I, I'm. I'm. My only concern is that it's going to be like a s- substance-free puff piece, clearly put together by a publicity department to sell a movie. Yeah, like a like the tourism board yeah. of Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of the... like that. Um, that costume and prop show that they had. Um, oh. Disney Plus had. Oh. I actually we watched like I think two, maybe three episodes of that tops before we were just done i watched i think the whole thing and it was i thought it was okay it wasn't like the greatest thing ever it was nice to see some of the props and like see the props be reunited with like some of their actors with their other props Mm -hmm. like they you know long lost props that they hadn't seen in a while well it was for like chronicles of narnia they had like three of the kids come and like see their big costumes which was really cool and um they brought one of julie andrews's costumes that her ex-husband had designed for mary poppins Mm -hmm. to him and he was reunited with it for the first time and i thought that was amazing and christopher lloyd got to see his costume from roger rabbit i didn't get that far um i i I think it just kind of felt like a show with a setup but no solid premise outside of the setup yeah i think it was just being like hey look at these props that we have in storage because we're not going to do anything with them Mm -hmm. and this is like i think this is also a good time for this show to drop because it's like they're trying to get people to go back to the parks because they're a little bit dead even though they're open now like fully open mm-hmm. like from what i've been hearing they're they're fairly dead as dead as a disneyland park can be yeah dead dead for disney is still bustling i was like yeah i would imagine i went to universal studios not too long ago and it was jam-packed mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so i would imagine disney would be even more but i guess disney is a little not. bit more expensive mm-hmm. it's also yeah, sure. like a little bit farther out of the way true and but like, there's more just, stuff at disneyland everyone wants to they, go to disneyland they just yeah, opened it up disneyland. to out of state people and i don't think the hotels had opened yet until like this past week so they probably haven't gotten oh. a lot of out of town guests coming in yet i guess that makes sense yeah for a while it was and i don't know if this is still the case but for a while it was um oh no it's definitely not the case anymore um but it was restricted to california residents only um, yeah, and then it was it, it, when the, the when ju- the state June. opened, like when the mask mandate dropped, yeah. the they opened it up for um, out of state residents. But right. the hotels had only recently opened as of like last week or this week. Right. Yeah. All right, everybody, let's go to Disneyland. <laughs> it's time. If you've been waiting, <laughs> now's, the, now's time. the time. I mean, you'll see yeah. Joe there, and possibly apparently <laughs> there's not a line <laughs> to get into me. Avengers <laughs> Campus anymore. So no, yeah, that, apparently that's 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 been done for a while. Wait, what? So yeah, I can go. I can go check it out. Yeah. yeah. But you gotta, you still gotta <sighs> gamble on getting a, a boarding pass for Web Slingers. Uh, yeah, you gotta get up at like 7 a.m. and. Do all that stuff, which I know you're not going to do. I think do. you also have to sacrifice a small animal. Mm. All the or animals I have are pretty large. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, uh, I don't know. All right. Let's talk about this other trailer. We got a, we got a trailer for an actual movie. Turning Red, the new Pixar movie, comes out, I think, next spring. Yeah, it said 2022, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called Turning Red, and it's about this 
young girl who I think when she gets anxious or like it, like excited in any fashion, she turns into a giant red panda, which I think is adorable. And so my favorite red thing pandas about are this, the cutest of the pandas, I would say. They are. They the are. Even though, hey, speaking of regular pandas, uh, are uh, no longer on the endangered species list. That's great. We did it, guys. Yeah. We did it. We, we saved the pandas. Was it WWF or whatever? Did they need to be saved? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was China. China worked really hard. And I mean, they were like, we these are our mascots. We got to we gotta keep them around. Mm-hmm. They're cute and really stupid. Mm-hmm. Very stupid. It makes them cuter. <laughs> uh, a group of pandas is known as an embarrassment. Got them. <laughs> fucking roasted those pandas. <laughs> Boom, roasted. <laughs> Uh, I've been excited for this since they kind of announced it in the premise, just because myself, I am a very anxious person. And she also turned into a red panda. Shh, Joe. <laughs> that's my secret. <laughs> when I'm anxious, <laughs> you don't want to see me She's when I'm anxious. anxious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of turning giant and green, I turn giant and red. Hmm. No, but like. I feel like this is a, a character I would be able to connect with, even though I'm not, like, of Asian descent, like this character is. I still would be like, I understand what she's going through. But the yep. best part, I think, about this trailer, though, is they play the Backstreet Boys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, yep. As soon as they started, think- like, when she first, like, started turning, they started playing the Backstreet Boys. I'm like, yep, there we go. I'm excited. I- I'm here for it. Oh yeah, you're like a big Backstreet Boys fan. Huge Backstreet Boys fan. Yes, yes. Um, like, like literally, like not ironically, she's a Backstreet Boys fan. Right. Uh, uh, um, no, not ironically. In I all love the Backstreet Boys. I do think it's interesting that this trailer. I mean, it was a teaser, really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like a really small like scene mm-hmm. snippet, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually, I don't know. Usually teasers. Ah, uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong uh, about the. Uh, yeah, I just feel like. I still don't really know what this movie is. Like, you know, it's just that one little scene, which mm-hmm. is funny. I liked it. And I think it definitely gives off a, you get like the vibe of the movie, but like, I don't, I didn't know uh, why she was turning into this uh, mm-hmm. panda. Well, sometimes it's funny uh, what Pixar does with teasers. I expect this scene will be in the movie, but a lot of times they'll have a teaser that's one whole scripted scene that is sort of unique to like a, a teaser. segment that's only for you. Yeah, know, like I, my, they did of, that with Soul, I think. Well, no, Soul did the cla- they did the classroom scene as like a teaser. Yeah, but that was in the movie as well. And I think the same thing for Luca. Right, I'm thinking of like this is a while ago, long time ago, but like for The Incredibles, it's the whole scene where Mr. Incredible is trying to get his his super suit on. And he can't fit into it. And it's not a scene that's in the movie, but it's hilarious. <laughs> he's like sucking it in and trying to, and he finally gets in there and he, and then he like lets go and his gut comes out and then the belt buckle like pops off and shoots around. It's, it's, it's great. And it's, it's not a scene that's in the film, but it's wonderful. Interesting. Yeah. I don't remember that, but I also don't remember a lot of trailers because we didn't necessarily watch a lot of TV with commercials for anything other than public television um no but (laughs) i didn't watch public television by my own free will she was forced like clockwork orange she she had her eyelids taped open it was literally all i had to watch but yeah this was based off of a pixar short and something i've been noticing which i know joe you pointed out with luca that it kind of had like a dreamworks feel to it yeah and this and one I does too and i think that that's 
Yeah, that's the new, like, I think the new wave of artists that are coming into Pixar. Mm. They're exploring, like, Pixar is definitely exploring a lot more diverse artistic palettes versus the artists that they've been using since, like, Toy Story and Finding Nemo. Yeah. And it's really been showing it with those shorts that they've been putting, like the Spark shorts that they've been putting on um, Disney+. Plus. I haven't watched a whole lot of them. Mm-hmm. But they've like really, really been trying to like I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but they've been trying to showcase a yeah. lot of different artists, uh, like talent that's at the studio. Have you, Amy, seen the short that this film is based on? I have not. Uh, neither have I. Um, Did it like come out? Was it because usually the Pixar shorts they'll come on before Pixar movies, right? I don't they think it was to. one of those. I think it was okay. So it was just like one yeah. of these standalone ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it might be one of the, like, spark shorts or something. I'm not 100% sure. I just know it was based off a short, and everything I know about it is based off of the the Disney thing that they did where they announced, like, their whole slate for the next, like, five years, like, mm-hmm. sometime last year. A lot of times, um, Pixar will do a short, and then it'll it'll be up for, um, you know, Academy Award Best Yeah, like a Best short. Oscar. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, Tintin. I think, like, the, the Tin drummer that was like a short that kind of spawned toy story mm. and i think that was up oh, yeah, for an that's, academy that's award in, in mm-hmm. the early early days long time ago yeah um yeah but it's like we usually have only ever seen pixar shorts when they're like in front of pixar movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. on disney plus right if i'm i cruising. it's it's funny because so so me personally i don't have um a love of um i mean i i, I know this Pandas. is oh. well I was going to say this is I know this is a blanket statement that doesn't make a lot of sense to fans of the of the genre but it is a genre. I I'm not a fan of anime. It's just not something that's connected with me and this feels very much so like a Studio Ghibli movie that just happens to be CG, you know? Mm. Uh and such you a You don't even like Studio Ghibli movies? I feel like I I so I find that it's just a little too inaccessibly weird. Even the it's too foreign for you. Is that what it is? N- I, it's too Japanese for me. I think is the thing. That's what I'm, I mean. Because yeah, I'm, I'm good foreign. with it's... foreign. Like it's 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 Japan makes no sense to me. You know we we well it's the different side. It's a whole different. It's like literally the other side of the world. Yeah. So. And and there's 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 a lot of um, I think there's cultural callouts and shorthand that are in those stories that they tell that I have no context for. And so when they make, when they have these references, you know, like girl with, with fox tails, you know, like that's a thing. That is a mythical creature. And that's a thing that they understand. And for me, I just like, why does this girl have a tail? You know? Yeah. But they usually explain it in the movies, but you know. It's just something fun and fantasy that I connect with when I watch like, like Spirited Away. I really like. Because it's just like this about this little girl finding herself. There's no foxtails in there. And yes, in this right. beautiful world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just magical. I, I like animation as just a general art form. Yeah. I think it's pretty great. Um, so, and Japanese animation's always been extremely interesting to me. It's, there, there's, you know, I'm just surprised that, like, even Ghibli movies. I understand anime as, like, a, as a, as a genre, of, specifically, like, you know, the action stuff that comes on, like, mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z, you know? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I can understand you not liking. But, like, Ghibli movies are like pieces of art, and you are a—you're a bit of an art art person. You're a little artsy yeah. fartsy. I, am I? Like Ghibli is something I can get into. Like I can't get into most any kind of anime outside of like Pokemon. When I was really young, I watched some of the Pokemon like TV shows, and I think I watched like the first Pokemon 
movie. Pokemon, with, the first movie. Yeah, Mewtwo with Strikes Mewtwo? Back. Mewtwo? Uh, no, yeah. I watched, yeah, the Mewtwo <laughs> one. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't, I can't connect with, like, any other kind of anime, but Ghibli is just something, it's like every frame of painting. I mean, no, it's just beautiful stuff. It so literally I just, is, I just, though. <laughs> so this is coming, giving you, like, Ghibli vibes is what you're saying? Yeah, in, in a way that makes, is is not the strongest draw for me. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I just find, like, I, I saw, um, and I've seen a number of Ghibli films, too, is the thing. It's not like I've seen, I saw one that was maybe uh, sort of weak and then decided to, to cast them all in that light. Um, mm. I, I just, I find them all sort of just on the other side of inaccessible and I, and I just don't, I just don't understand what they're doing. Like the, 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 the filmmaking vocabulary that they're using is just not something that I understand. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're an insular culture, an Island culture. They put smiley faces on everything. They're just kind of, they're kind of weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been watching um there's like a ton of Godzilla like like original Japanese Godzilla films on the Criterion channel mm. and I've been like watching those and the one I watched today I think it was like Godzilla versus Mothra or something. Mm -hmm. And there's these two little women, like not little women as in like the Louisa May Alcott movie oh. or book. Yeah. Um but like two miniature ladies, they're like maybe a foot and a half tall. They just appear yeah. out of nowhere, mm -hmm. and they're like Mothra's guide, and like it's totally normal. And I'm like, I fucking love that Japanese cinema is bonkers. Like their TV, yeah, is just bonkers. Like their game shows, and oh, I love yes. it. I love when things get stupid and fun. Yeah, well, you're not wrong. Their game shows are are off the wall. I'm pretty sure they don't have lawyers because of the things that they the things they do. Uh, would not fly here. Um, but it's. I think it's exactly that kind of thing you're talking about, Amy. If, if when when something strange like that appears, my first response is, I request elaboration. You know, I just like <laughs> WTF is going Joe. on here. I, no, and that's that's not to say everything doesn't work for me. I really really love Jude Ranger. I think that's great. I I I. Like when when shout put that so out, weird. When, when shout put that that's out, so fucking weird. I, it's so good. The the storytelling in that show, it's is not brilliant. good. It's so it's it's mediocre at best. No, hey, it's and so Johnny good. would know. He's probably watched hours of it, having to work on it. I've had I, I've had to yeah, I have had to scroll through, it. and it's it's fine. Like I get it. It's better than uh, I mean you know, I don't know I don't know. It's that that's shocking to me that you, especially talking about how strange Japan is. That's a fucking strange ass show. It's it, it is strange, but for me it works. The I've watched other Sentai shows thinking, oh, maybe that'll be great too. And none of them have worked for me, so I think that one's like a special case. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the one that launched Power Rangers. It is. Power Rangers is But it's so huge. much better so. than Power Rangers. Well, yeah, but, but that's because they Americanized it. Yeah, well, they chopped it up. They, they, took the, they took the context right out of it. Yeah, but oh, it's so fucking you know what I think this correlates person. to? <laughs> Just when I think I have Joe figured out, he throws fucking. Johnny, I think this goes in line with you know how Joe doesn't like fun? the Fast and the Furious where it gets just like batshit bonkers. I mean, he doesn't like fun. Yes. He doesn't. Yeah, and I think that's what like crazy Japanese cinema can be. It's just crazy bonkers stuff, and Joe can't handle when things get out of control. But 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 with the thing he's talking about, Zhu Ranger is crazy bonkers. It's fucking weird. It's like a they got. Oh, it's 
I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. You just, uh, you just went You're on. You're an enigma wrapped in, what is. is that, that saying? Uh, I'm a question. You're a, a mystery wrapped in wrapped an enigma. enigma. Yeah, with a, uh, with a <laughs> chewy question, I don't know, Joe. question mark center. Very, the, the... You're a complicated, eternal being, <laughs> and um, I don't know. I'll Maybe figure, that's I'll why figure he's... you out one day. One day I'll Are you sure out. about that, Johnny? I'll, I'll, I'll add another complication. I really like Kurosawa films. But Kurosawa's like a master. Movies. Yeah. He's no tour. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Rashomon, Yojimbo. Yeah. That's all good stuff. Yeah, but that's Great like... Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's completely different. That's not like the bonkers crazy you get in some Japanese cinema. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Joe just doesn't make sense. Not for me. So so uh you but you both are are interested in turning red then? I am, yeah. I will definitely see it. I mean, I'd have to wait. I, I'll be more interested. This first trailer was like whatever. I'll be interested. It was funny. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. it it uh it has my curiosity, oh. but it doesn't have my attention mm-hmm. quite yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably end up seeing it. I'm sure the next trailer will be, like, the proper trailer will give us yeah. more, and then at that point I'll decide if I'm... I'll still probably yeah. see it, but I'll decide yeah, if I'm Yeah, I mean, it's Pixar, Joe. You, it. you, can't, you can't not see a Pixar movie. I feel like it's against your laws. <laughs> it's against the laws of Joe. They're 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 more guidelines than laws. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're a pirate. <laughs> well, let's talk about the secret shame of the day, and that is the director's cut of Lethal Weapon. Which I'm because we are celebrating the life of one of well, I don't say one of. I think it is Joe's favorite director. I definitely the most influential man in Joe's life. You know, it's so so. It's funny. Firstly, I I I feel compelled to point out that the quote unquote director's cut is you know a product of Warner Brothers publicity or some such thing. I think the mm-hmm. I think the movie that came out is probably what what um, Donner had in mind, and so it has like an extra six minutes. But the movie, I think, sometimes with um, like extra scenes, you watch you watch the film and you think, yeah, I see why this is gone. I see why this, yeah. and then in this mm-hmm. film, it kind of feels like I I know the bits that are added, and I think they all work. I, I, they there maybe is slight redundancy, but they still work. They're still really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. So it's 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 funny. Um, Dick Donner is somebody whose films were kind of on um, like repeat for me. Like pretty much there was there was the standard rotation. There was. The Indiana mm-hmm. Jones trilogy. There was the original Star Wars trilogy, and then there was Superman and Goonies, and Superman Two, which he, you know, complicated history. He he did part of the 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 best parts, and you know, little young me didn't realize everything that Dick Donner had done. You know, it's just like I didn't realize mm-hmm. that the guy who directed Superman was the guy who did Goonies, who was the guy who did Lethal Weapon, who was the you know, like, and, um... That all of it came from, like, the same person? Yeah. Which, like, mm-hmm. And, the, I mean, the fact that it could. I mean, this guy was kind of a master mm-hmm. of genres. Uh, when you, yeah. when, I mean, just those three films you described, you talked about, like, they're all different genres, and they're yeah. all pretty great. I yeah. Mean, like, considered classics, you know? Really, very mm-hmm. much so. You know, but when I think back on his, like, contribute, I mean, obviously, the listener knows that I it always... He always comes up, and when I think back to like my fondest memories of watching movies as a kid, I think about watching Superman and every time the, the Superman March would come on, I, I had like a bath towel that I would put over my shoulders and run around the house, <laughs> you know, 
And then as I got older and, and started appreciating how these movies were put together and, and how smart he was and how even though his movies are fun and, and there's like a he, there's a lot of, of comedy in his films is like a defining characteristic no matter what mm-hmm. he was doing there's comedy in there um, his approach to filmmaking was always I think very serious and very respectful to the story that that he was telling mm-hmm. it felt authentic right yeah yeah there's to like a, the story he was telling yeah there's a, there's a there's a respect for the source material you know the fact that he he told Superman as like a sweeping grounded epic you know that it, about a guy an alien a, a space alien who flies around you know that he could mm-hmm. make that feel relatable and um and kind of sober despite the despite what it is um mm-hmm. it was kind of amazing and uh i th- and that influenced a lot of filmmakers going after him i mean christopher nolan pointed to richard donner superman as one of the the touchstones for his Batman franchise. Mm-hmm. I can see that, yeah. Donner had this uh, motto on his desk, and it was just it just said ver- verisimilitude, which is uh, appearing lifelike. It's not necessarily realistic because there's so much in movies that is is far fetched, but if it feels realistic, if it feels like the truth, you know that's mm-hmm. that's what he aimed for. You know that's and that's that's how his his films operate and, and you see it in, in filmmaker, you see that reflected in filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, you know, that he, mm-hmm. his Batman isn't realistic, but it's grounded. Yes. Um, yeah. It's grounded to the reality that he creates. Exactly. Right? Exactly. The, the filmmaker was making. So Donner in his movies, everything, even though there's far fetched, fantastical stuff, it still feels real to them. Yeah. The there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's no cartoony point where you're watching and you go, wait a minute. No way, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, you know, and so so I, you know, in thinking about um, him over the last week, I'm still so glad that I got to meet him. Like the the fact that I got mm-hmm. to meet him is amazing. Because uh, yeah. pretty dope. It's not often that you get to meet somebody that's as influential, you know, for you, and yeah. um, and the fact that he was like, yeah, I hung out with him for like three hours. His his office was was a dog friendly office and all and so there was like you know an old chewed up pit bull that was a rescue that just kind of wandered in while I was setting up and she was really sweet and you know and after we were done with the interview he talked to me about using vintage lenses on modern cameras because that's what they were planning on doing because they were they were putting together the next lethal weapon apparently and Mm -hmm. uh, and he was talking about how his DP was was trying to talk him into this because he'd only ever shot on film. And so I, and mm-hmm. so I was, t- so he listened to me talk about using Canon FDs on, on a, on the camera that I was using. And that's pretty awesome. Nice. That's pretty dope. Yeah. That is pretty cool. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I think 91 is a, is a good long life and, and he did a lot and, uh, he was, and he inspired a lot. And he inspired I mean, a lot. I, mean yeah. I think, I think that's the crazy part when you, when it comes to like, you know, one person's um, impact on an art form, I suppose mm-hmm. you, know, you can call filmmaking an art form. Um, just the amount of of uh, seminal, like influential things he created is a kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and from from what I understand, everybody who knew him really well said that he was uh, an a, a amazingly uh, nice man, like really kind. And mm-hmm. I and I found that to be true. And just the the one time that I got to meet him, it sounds like we lost one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. But we got all this cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
All his cool movies. Did we ever? Did they ever say what he died from? Was it just old age? I think. I think he was. I think it was just old. Um, yeah. I, I haven't seen which is anything. great. Like, yeah. I'm glad he wasn't like suffering from like any kind of illness or especially like COVID or anything like that. That he was just like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. I've got. I've got you life. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was the? Uh, oh, can I, uh, what was the first movie you watched? After, yeah. Well, the first Donner movie you watched. Well, one, I want to know the first Donner movie you watched ever. I'm think I'm pretty sure it's Superman, yeah. but I could be mistaken. It was definitely it was Superman. Um, and then your 100%. favorite. Okay. Okay. Oh. Well, no, because uh, I feel like that's too hard for Joe. Yeah. I don't. It's like making him pick his children. <laughs> um, no, I want to know the first one you put on after you heard he died. You know, honestly, uh, and oddly, of all of the movies that I had to pick from, um, I uh, put in my copy of The Omen. Um, because huh, interesting. yeah I, I, you know it's it's a movie that that i'm i had actually never seen mm. you hadn't seen the omen until just recently yeah until a few days ago um that was one of the uh, first horror movies i ever watched oh really uh, i watched it it was um we watched it in my um horror history class for my f- horror film history class Oh wow! Yeah, and, and and that was at a time when you didn't like horror films, right? Like at all? No. Uh, yeah, that would that class I was forced to take, and it kind of introduced me to horror films. Yeah, it's funny because I think that kind of you know true to fashion. Even though it's a horror film, it doesn't necessarily work as a horror film. It works as a thriller, you know, as a suspense movie. Mm-hmm. As it, it doesn't, you know, it came out just after The Exorcist, which was one hundred percent full tilt horror film you know brutal and and gory and shocking and by comparison you know here's here's this movie the omen that is restrained and um and kind of classy i guess (laughs) Um, yeah and um yeah it's all for you damien Mm -hmm. and and so (laughs) iconic too and you know that was actually one of the things i except when i was talking to him about dogs i I mentioned that i love dogs and i said i I said i grew up with a rottweiler and he goes oh rottweilers i i destroyed rottweilers in the omen and and i felt so bad (laughs) you know because he because that movie made rottweilers look like like demon hounds right Mm -hmm. um and he and and i'm I'm pretty sure i'm I'm pretty sure he was 100 percent a dog person oh yeah and he and so he felt bad about that and i said well you made it up with lethal weapon 3 because there's a really nice rottweiler in that movie (laughs) and uh anyway yeah so it's um that's funny so and 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 did you did you like the film when you first saw it being a a non-horror fan um it it definitely made me be like Maybe I don't want children, you know? Oh, Even yeah. though I was mm-hmm. something I was already like kind of, you know, on the fence about <laughs> at like but what they was might it? Be... like 21. <laughs> well, they, I they definitely might be sat there and like covered my eyes, but I did. I feel like I remember enjoying it because I have I don't think I've watched it since then, but it's a movie that I would not be upset about revisiting. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. enjoying it. I, I remember I was pretty sure I enjoyed it and it probably was one of the films that made me start being like rethinking my choices on my liking of horror films. Yeah. Nice. Um, Johnny, is there, do you have a, a strong recollection of a Donner film that you really liked or the first one that you saw or when you all of a sudden realized Richard, who Richard Donner was exactly? Mm, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Honestly, I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't grow up on his stuff. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I like yeah. No, thinking about it, I don't think I don't think I honestly watched any of his movies until we started doing this podcast. Wow. Huh. Really? Like, Goonies yeah. was probably the first one of his films that you had watched? Whichever one we did first, Goonies or Superman. Oh, I think we did Goonies and then we did Superman. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't well, seen, like, Scrooged? I mean, I know it's a Christmas movie and you're not a huge Christmas fan. No, I did see Scrooged. Well, I'm a big Bill Murray fan. Scrooge might have been your first one then. Yeah. Huh. Perhaps. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, I didn't grow up. This was all later, you know? Like, I didn't, yeah. uh, I didn't see any of this stuff growing up. So yeah, which was not a part of my uh, upbringing. That's interesting. Yeah, I I know what you mean because somehow there's some people who like I I'll I'll see them in something and I think oh this person's really good. What else have they done? And then I and they have a long career of things that I mm-hmm. have not seen. Like just yeah, have always yeah. missed one way or another. Um, and you were saying yeah, and to sort of. Uh, you, you were saying that you were not even sure. We know that Amy hasn't seen Lethal Weapon, but you were saying that you also think that maybe you haven't seen it either. I don't think. I mean, I've definitely haven't seen it. Like sat down and seen it all the way through. I I think I've seen like bits and pieces of it when it's been on like TV or somebody else was mm-hmm. watching it. Sure. Yeah. So it's probably edited for broadcast as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wasn't. Um, you know, nobody was. Uh, I don't know. It was. A, it's an R-rated movie, right? Yes. It's like, yes. Yeah, so it, I wouldn't have been watching it anyways. Right. That, whenever it came out. Right. Mm-hmm. I would have had to, like, go back and, like, watch mm-hmm. it. I feel like Lethal Weapon is, is popular enough that it's in the cult. It's, it's a pop the... culture zeitgeist. Oh, I, yeah. Like, I the know only who, thing... yeah, I know who Riggs and... Uh, Sorry, go Mur- ahead, Johnny. Murtaugh are. Or he's frozen. Oh, uh, I was just saying, <laughs> oh, no. I was saying, I know who Riggs and, you know, the guy, the people I know, and, and yeah. the, obviously, the two, I'm too old for this yeah. shit. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's... it's yeah, like... That's literally thing. all I know about this is like Danny Glover saying like I'm getting too old for this shit and Riggs and Murtaugh thing, but that's about yeah. it. So I'm excited to see to see it. I'm excited for you just guys to see. I'm excited the... too. Not not just because of Richard Donner. I also know that Shane Black. This is the first thing he ever. The first thing he ever did. That's right. Uh, mm. First thing he ever wrote. And I'm a huge Shane Black fan, so uh, I am definitely excited. And this movie is is. It has all of the hallmarks of Shane Black's work. It's, so it's, it's set it's, during Christmas. It's yeah, a I Christmas mean, uh, movie. Uh, it is set during Christmas. Yes. There, there's something. I know that much. There's something else that happens in it that is 100% a Shane Black thing that I will not tell you about until after we watch it for fear of spoiling anything. But it's 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 all him, 100% him. Interesting. Well, nice. let's watch. Right. And and you know it's kind of perfect that we're watching a Christmas movie because like. July is always considered like halfway to Christmas, so it's like, you know, we're we're watching a Christmas movie in the middle of the year. It's halfway to actual Christmas. It's yeah. Christmas in July, Christmas in baby. July. And I love Christmas, so let's watch Lethal Weapon. Before we watch the movie, a quick word from our sponsors. And now our feature presentation. back okay guys what did you think oh my god i i love this you know what after i watched this i speed ran the other three. Oh shit really yeah wow because wow. like one wow. thing i've been doing is what we at shout call the elliot way of watching things where oh, i watch like things in two times speed i mean i do have um like some rules if it's something that i'm watching for like the podcast or a movie review i don't like watch it at two times speed but yeah i went Mm -hmm. and i spent like all day watching lethal weapon and you guys i am obsessed with riggs and murtaugh i love their relationship yeah they are it's like 
This is what buddy cop movies should be like. All of them. <laughs> this is the prototype of that, you know? Yeah. So uh, I want to see if you'll back me up on this because I feel like um, the, the, uh, the Lethal Weapon franchise is one of the most consistent franchises ever. It's not mm-hmm. like there's it's like, oh, well, this one's good. The next one's not very good. Or like the last two, they're not great. Like they're mm-hmm. all of really consistent They're all quality. very good. I was going to ask at the, during this discussion if the sequels were any good. Because normally, because I think there's four of them, right? There are, there's yeah. there's four total. Yeah. They're all in HBO. So, okay. Uh, yeah, because usually, like, I don't know, I can see this Yeah, they're, they're like, great. Old, they're very fun. You know? Like, I uh, feel like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover have, like, perfect chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I just love how how well Riggs fits in with the Murtaugh family. Yeah. Like. It's really sweet. He's just, like, he's, like, they adopted him. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, they, they, and he's, like, yeah, he's very much so, like, the stray that they brought in. Um, yeah, and he's very much so part of the family. I find that the um, that those that those four movies are really really consistent. They they mm-hmm. feel even though only the first two were written by Shane Black or, or had Shane Black's involvement anyway. Do all three? Do all of them have? Uh, were all of them directed by Richard Donner? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they all have the same returning cast. There's, like, everybody who's in the first like film. Like, even the kids. Like, even Danny Glover's kids are the same. Yeah. It's, there's, there's, I don't think they recast anybody. Interesting. Yeah, everybody comes back for every film. Um, I think you Except for the villains. Well, yes, except for the villains. <laughs> um, but, like, the main, the core characters, so no like, everybody Gary at the police Busey? Nope, Busey's, Busey's done. Uh, I, I think well. it might even be the same. I don't know if it's the same dogs. That would be... Extra, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, extraordinary. Like, if but, anybody could do it, it's Richard. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, kept those like dogs alive. they're like 10 years apart, I think, between... Or, no, 12 years apart, I think, because the last one came out in 99. Yeah, something like that. I saw... Actually, Lethal Open 4, I saw in theaters. That's the only one that I was old enough to see in theaters. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, yeah, no, they're they're really consistent, Johnny. They are... They, uh, they've, Interesting. Yeah, they feel... I'll check... Because, you know, now that we're talking about it i haven't seen this movie i've seen i think i've maybe seen a scene of it uh-huh. but like i think i've seen i've seen more uh either two or three mm. um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one's got joe pesci that's number three all of them the la- all three well, of the three last and four ones. yeah oh okay. actually no so you're right Amy, the... he shows no, up he's in two. two two is yeah. where joe he's pesci's introduced, introduced. leo gets yeah. which but it's like which joe pesci did you see did you see blonde. regular joe pesci blonde joe pesci or really really black hair joe pesci i don't know it was joe pesci <laughs> i don't i just because thought. he has different hair and a different in job in each of them yeah that's pretty funny yeah i totally forgot that i yeah because he i uh I, I completely forgotten that that they'd introduced leo gets in the second one that he's been as yeah. much he's a, the entire like he's basically the i am totally the MacGuffin. He's yeah. kind of the MacGuffin in the second one. Yeah, he is. He very much so is. Spoilers. <laughs> wow. Um, now, I like this movie. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Really? What, really? What, what didn't yeah, work for mainly, you? Mainly, 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 it's just the 80s action. Uh, like, the the over-the-top, but not over... Uh, it's it's weird to describe. Um, oh, it gets more over-the-top, I think, as it goes on. I, it's kind yeah, of like but Fast and the Furious, where they get more insane with their stunts as it goes on but this it's not like at like fast and furious insanity levels but it's still like the action in two through four is kind of a little bit more like maybe what i mean is yeah it's more just like it's it's a 
I knew at the time it set like a um, it sort of set a formula, right? Mm-hmm. Like it mm-hmm. was it was like the and it, and like it's I think that it's like a prototype to to kiss kiss bang bang very much so and the good guys oh, yeah. you know yes and, and, and in like that vein and i just feel that it was like i don't know maybe because i saw it first and i liked it <laughs> i just feel like those are better versions of this hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i could i could see that because it's been so yeah. refined Be- yes because it's so refined and because you know everything in here is just it's it's from a time and a place that i don't recognize sure you know sure yeah. sure well, definitely uh, check out some of the other ones because you know in I think it's Fast and the Furious Six where they jump the skyscrapers. Seven. They do something similar in in one of the Lethal Weapons. Is that when the car goes in the building? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's four, right? It might be four. I don't remember um, because they're all kind of a blur. Yeah. Because I just watched them like literally. I think there was maybe five seconds in between where I was going back. And then searching for the second one or the next one or just clicking the next one in the playlist. Mm-hmm. So I, there was like zero like space in between for me to register what it, either one of them, any of them are. Yeah. yeah. Outside of just like a, a six hour block of time. Right. I, I, I will say, uh, I, Amy's right that the, the action set pieces do get bigger, but I, mm-hmm. I find that they don't personally, even when the car goes in the building, it doesn't ever get to like cartoony Fast and the Furious where, where Fast and the Furious started no. out fairly grounded. I mean, like really grounded. Yeah. And then yeah. is now like a Saturday morning cartoon show. Literally going into space. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and but you see, I, w- I kind of, I like that. I like, th- if an action movie is going to be dumb, big dumb action movie, it should be a big dumb action mm-hmm. movie, you know? Um, and I feel like this isn't dumb enough. Uh-huh. And I also don't feel like, I don't know, Maybe the action sequences are just so from the 80s hmm. that that they don't inspire any sort of awe. Because I feel like they've been done better since then. You know what I'm saying? Like well, the whole like the whole like the whole kung fu fight at the end. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that that that's they they bring they they finally get they get Jet Li spoilers for the fourth movie. And it's like all kung fu. Yeah. No. But but, but the, the thing but it's not kung fu. That's what Sorry, I'm talking yeah. about this movie. I'm talking about Lethal yeah. Weapon, the one we're talking about. Uh, what I'm saying is like that that sort of 80s, like, oh, well, we have to have like a fist fight in the rain, but it's not well choreographed. I don't know. I, I felt like that part dragged on a little bit too much. I get it. I get what it's setting up and I get the payoff and I get that, he, you know, he, he doesn't kill him in the end. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a, he changes, it's a change of character. And I get it. And, and I know it works. I just... I don't know. It's not well. <laughs> it's funny because actually go, 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 go. that that scene in particular is. Um, if I have any criticism for that film, it is that scene specifically. Um, I mean, not only now looking back on it, has it not aged especially well because of our crisis in policing? Well, the whole mm-hmm. everything. Um, well, everything about this movie, I could only think about with the like. Oh, these are police. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's also what rubs me the wrong way a little bit about this movie. Where I'm just like, I mean, I get it. It's the '80s. It was a whole different time. It was a whole different period of 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 what was you know. It was Reagan's in America. The, in tough the, on tough on crime <laughs> and all that. Yeah, yeah, and that stuff. But but you know, with looking, I've never seen this movie before. Just looking at it with 2021 eyes, I'm like, oh, yeah. And, oh, and and that scene that 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 one scene if I was going to pick out anything that needed that that could have been adjusted it's that last bit cuz it really feels like mm-hmm. you got him why are you all like 
why are you all standing around watching essentially yeah, what a cage is this? match? It's, it's pretty dumb. Yeah. And, I mean, it's like really dumb. And I also don't like that it's not shot well. So it's, it's terribly like, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like spatially, like it's just all over the place. And with the, the flay, the, um, the reflection of the lights mm-hmm. that keep coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just cause I was watching it. It was a DVD rip that I'd got and, and I was watching it on my TV. It just didn't look good. It, it it's so, didn't look mm, good at all. So it's funny. I always, I don't have a problem with how it's done because I think at the time in 1987, I think that was a really brutal fight scene. And so it was meant to look sort of ugly in, in a way, you know, because if yeah. you think about if you think about other movies that were out around the same time, something like Die Hard, which and Die Hard is a perfect movie. I think the listener knows that I feel this, mm-hmm. um, but Agreed. but 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 Die Hard is a little less raw feeling than this movie is. Yeah. And yeah. it feels a little bit more like a fantasy, even though it's still in a real world. Yeah. Than this. This feels more grounded in yeah and and i feel like this movie is kind of gritty really uh kind of hard-hitting especially at the time um Mm -hmm. and i think that that's what that fight scene is trying to do i think there's there's new ways to do that 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 Mm -hmm. um maybe speak to you uh and work for you better um but i i do think that maybe like we wouldn't have got to what we have now for what is a brutal gritty fight scene uh, if it wasn't for like the grandfather of th- that this yeah. film is in terms of yeah. fight scenes, yeah. and that's kind of how that's kind of how I feel yeah. about it. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is this is the grandfather of these things that I like more. Yeah, so I still think it's a good movie. Yeah, I think it's even a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just I don't know maybe it's just because I was expecting more from Shane like a Shane Black film like a Shane Black written thing. I didn't, like, I felt the dialogue was rather weak. Really. In mm. terms of his other, I think I think it works for the time and for what this movie is. Yeah. But compared to something like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or even the other guys, like the banter, I don't know. It's it's all it's like there was once I forget what fucking line it was. The where they, it's like Riggs and Murtaugh and they're talking, and they're having a back and forth, and I'm expecting to hear like a quippy like one liner, like a sort of something like Val Kilmer would say or like Robert Downey Jr. would say. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, it's like nothing. It's like your typical cliche like action movie thing and i'm like oh it's funny it doesn't feel like shane black that feels like like a writer straight out of like school you know what i'm saying it's so funny it's well it's shane enti- black was a straight out of school he wrote this yeah, in college. yeah that's that's what i'm saying right that's why i'm like oh, okay. it's also entirely possible that whatever that line was might not have been cliche at the time and it has become so since yeah. Yes, and that's that's sort of like why because all these things I, I I get that they originate or at this time they were they were not as um, ubiquitous yes. as they sort of are yes. now. Mm-hmm. You know, I um I I think it's a little bit like um what I think what you're dealing with is a little bit what's happened for me for The Shining and The Matrix actually is mm-hmm. even though like I was I'm old enough to have seen the matrix in theaters and you know saw it for the first time with everybody else in the world you know yeah. but people have made so much fun of like the slow motion bits yeah. and it's been in ever it's been in shrek it's been mm-hmm. in it's still made fun of in yeah. things today that it's hard to go back and watch it without all of that extra baggage and same with the shining like yeah. I I think I'd probably seen the the Simpsons make fun of The Shining before I actually saw The Shining properly, and so then mm. when I watch The Shining, it's hard not to think, you know, you know, don't yeah. don't use The, the Shining, Shining between four and five. It's Willie's time. 
you know. <laughs> um, and so I, I definitely, I can definitely see that because I, th- I think this movie is, is sort of the forebearer to the point that yeah. it's. And that's, that's like I can, I could, I see it for that, and I'm like, okay, I understand that that this is where everything kind of started from, and I respect it for it. Yeah. I just don't get as much enjoyment mm-hmm. out of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's funny because there's there's some lines that really leap out to me as, as Shane Black lines. There's uh, the bit where where Murtaugh is talking to Dixie and he says, "All dressed up and no one to blow." <laughs> oh, I literally wrote that down because I saw like that that happened and it kind of like passed me by. And then I like I I I, I hesitated for a second. I was like, "Wait, did he really just say what I thought he said?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I just like started cracking up. And then and then when it's... they show up at that. Uh, that drug dealer's house and and Mel and Mel Gibson says, "Oh, I think I saw this place on Lifestyles of the Rich and Shameless." Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think. See, none of those lines made me laugh. I saw, I think I caught them, and I was like, mm, "Okay." I think there's something. I, I there's something that that I, it's it's um it's a kind of filmmaking that isn't really around now, but was very prevalent in the 70s and 80s, uh, and something mm-hmm. that's always been a, a hallmark of Richard Donner's is um this the the constant sort of overlapping crosstalk that that characters mm-hmm. there's so much being said that are throwaway lines in a way and i feel like mm-hmm. maybe that's the other thing that that wasn't working for you maybe johnny yeah, is that we had talked about that with the goonies how you didn't yeah. like the kids just talking over each other yeah and that's and this movie has that all over the place i mean you know you see in the morning when murtaugh is getting you know breakfast and talking to his wife and there's just all this stuff happening he's talking mm-hmm. she's talking they're sometimes talking to each other but sort of, sort of sometimes talking at each other because that's kind of how our conversations work yeah mm-hmm. like that that scene particularly felt very realistic to me because it's like the way Murtaugh is acting is the way kind of my dad would act like he takes the bacon from his kid Uh and he's complaining about the door being open and he's being sarcastic about like he's like oh I didn't know I should be looking for egg on the floor and that's something my dad would say yeah like like literally in that flat sarcastic tone and it's just and it's kind of just like a stream it's like as as if it's it I don't want to say it's documentary ish because it's not but it it's it's very very lifelike and sort of chaotic and yeah it is and and that's something that has has always been something uh, an element in Donner's work it, he's he's not a, an auteur in the same way that like a, a Del Toro or a Nolan or a, a, a Burton are um, mm-hmm. you know that if you if you didn't see directed by Richard Donner at the beginning of the movie, you would be forgiven for not knowing that it was his yeah. work, you know? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. He doesn't have any, like, visuals, like calling cards or style. Yeah, not not right? really. Um, but it's it's all in, um, like, the, the flow of the... of it's, it's all in the chemistry of the characters and the flow of the movie and sort of this, this verisimilitude of the film. You know that you could take a movie mm-hmm. like Goonies, and it's all—I mean, it's a bonkers movie, and and it's and it's, um, you know, not not in any way, shape, or form something that could possibly happen. But the movie makes it feel credible because yeah. because of that, and I and I and and so that's what I think Donner really brings to it is is he he approaches everything from a place of credit. He he approaches everything from a place of credibility, um, mm-hmm. and so. But I think those those the witty dialogue is not highlighted because almost everything that the characters say feels like it's thrown away. And I, and it really, that yeah, really like works it's happening in, But yeah. Yeah. Like it's happening in real life where people aren't really 
waiting for you to say your line. Exactly. You know mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And so, but I can see how that wouldn't work for you because it's it's not how things are. I I think um, I'm actually kind of surprised that that sort of um, storytelling filmmaking isn't coming back because people are so much more inclined towards ADD that I feel something that's something that was as chaotic as that would actually maybe be something that would uh, really appeal to um, sort of the, the today's, today's audience. audience yeah. I can kind of counter that though because it's like is it too much going on? Having the overlapping it could honestly um, and that's something I noticed when I was watching the other three at two times speed there were moments where I kind of had to rewind a little bit and rewatch it just because there was so much going on mm-hmm. that I was like oh wow like if I even was watching this at one like normal speed it still probably would have been too much because everything's happening and I can't quite comprehend it it's kind of just throwing all the neurons in my brain making them go haywire yeah I could see that I could see that that it's yeah it's um like kind of overload mm-hmm. yeah um you know what's 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 uh, what's there's other little like things everywhere that that really appeal to me like they never bring it up, but Murtaugh's house is getting worked on. There's like you know drywall is down Constantly. and you can, yeah, and it's like throughout the all all four films his there's always something happening remodeling wise at his house. Yeah, and and they like and especially mm-hmm. in I think it's the the third one. Mm-hmm. No, I think it yeah it's the third one when um when Joe Pesci's showing the house. Yeah. And he's like talking about the car that gets driven through uh-huh. the front door, and that's when Mel Gibson and De- um, Gary Busey have the fight yep. in this one. Yep. And then he talks about the staple gun in the second that, one. That they fucking that they were like, let's just yeah. Murtaugh was like, yeah, just ram the car through my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his family is so down to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you know what, fuck it. We don't need. We don't need walls in this house. Yeah, it's being worked on, but who needs walls? Let's just fucking drive the car in it. Just just for shits and giggles, really. Well, and what's funny is I think in, in the subsequent films, it's it's been a little while, like a few years since I've, I've watched all of them. Um, but isn't it also just like a big picture window? Like it's a, like they, yeah. they, that whole thing is like a big picture window, so they don't even really rebuild the wall. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, and I, that I house that is funny. still on the Warner lot. Yeah. Um, oh, nice. I was trying to, I was trying to figure is, is that's, that's not the exterior of, um, that neighborhood isn't the exterior for WandaVision, is it? Cause I want to say that they filmed that at the Warner ranch. I don't Who know. Knows? I know that There's Catherine no way to find out either. house, her house is like a famous, uh, sitcom house that she lives in, in WandaVision. I think it's the bewitched house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be at the Warner ranch. Yeah, you know, so th- so there's something else about this film. I, 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 there's there's a lot of things. Obviously, a lot of things can happen in in the space of nearly forty years. Um, uh, but damn, I, is that I, how long has it been? 1987. Yeah, I mean, not mm-hmm. quite forty, but you know, thirty. Th- getting there. Yeah, it's just a couple years younger than me. This one. <laughs> um, okay, so let's say over thirty years. Um, this film, I think it's. E- with everything, all the baggage that's attached to Mel Gibson now, I think it's easy to forget that he was such a good actor. Because I, I, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but like that scene where he's about to kill himself. Mm-hmm. That was a good scene. Yeah. That was a fun, one of the fun facts I pulled was um, that scene, uh, like his performance in that scene was like the reason why he was chosen for Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and there's, there's these 
something else that and it's probably a product of being an older film but like we hold basically on him the whole time there's no there's no extra cutting you know there's mm-hmm. there's long takes mm-hmm. where there should be long takes um and i think it's something it's an extremely tense scene like yeah i was like getting anxiety watching it definitely definitely yeah it was a good scene and it's, I liked it. and it's heartbreaking it was, he was good in it um yeah. he really you really, uh, you really believe his character. He's the pain that he's going through. You know, this character yeah. is going through some really tough shit. Right, right, and and mm-hmm. and and he doesn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, even though they tell us he's dealing with tough shit like five times in the movie, but yeah, yeah. Um, he's a cop on the edge. He's on the edge. Yeah, um, you, you don't you don't want to be with him. He's on the edge. <laughs> Literally, at, at one point in the film, that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, because I feel like I feel like now the the crazy cop is is a thing, but it's never really mm. it's it's always played for like laughs or for action. It's just like okay, mm-hmm. we'll give we'll give the the crazy action scenes to the crazy cop, but here it's you know he doesn't. There's there's that great line. There's that great bit where 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 Murtaugh like really confronts him about it, and Riggs yeah, says yeah. he's like, no no, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I feel like I feel like this movie it it deals in the subtleties in a way that uh, I think other movies that are sort of built off of the DNA of this film don't necessarily do. Mm-hmm. I can see, I can see, I can see that. Yeah, but then there's also like you know fucking Mel Gibson, fucking going and shooting some dude at a school, and standing out there. Uh, it's, it, mm. It's like yes, you're right, and in, in there is the 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 really good parts of like the subtle t- the you know uh, Mel Gibson you know his his uh, acting especially in that scene mm-hmm. and like the character of Riggs yeah uh, you know but at the same time you also just have motherfuckers shooting each other you know like, <laughs> and then like there's a whole scene where they're just like at the gun range just like trying to show each other up. well they, they, yeah they're working through their their theories and it's but it's we're we're also learning how good Riggs is. While yeah. while still getting there, it's basically there. There's it's business for them to do, you know, and and making that part of the scene, telling us something about those characters in the scene, as well as advancing the the movie forward. I, I I'm wondering something else that that um has always um stood out to me about his style is also um that it's kind of no no nonsense filmmaking. You know, it's it's kind of no nonsense meat and potatoes like. You know, here's here's this scene. It's it's always shot well. It's it's you know it's always cool. The but it's never it's never super frilly. It's it's very much there's no so, flair to it. Yeah, it's very yeah. It's, there's no lens flare literally. Yeah, you know it's it's kind of and the, and there are there is flare sometimes, but most of the time it's like, you know you, you know you want this you want this scene. This is this is the, like a really solid way to make this scene work. And it's, and, and I think that's why his stuff is so sort of consistent. It's because it's approached from, you know, making the thing really just solid and understandable. Mm-hmm. Does he work with the same DP on mm. all of his films? No. Hmm. Yeah. It's like the, I think the first two lethal weapons were the same DP. Um, and then Yann DeBont did number three and Yann DeBont went on to direct speed and twister. Um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, he, and then there were like two, and then another DP on, on number four, the, um, I'm pretty sure the DP on Goonies is, is an, is another person like he, he almost 
never worked with any of the same people more than a few times. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, I, like in terms of like editors, um, composers. I mean, I don't know if you noticed in this one, it's a guy called Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton. Like the Eric Clapton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw Eric Clapton in the opening credits and I was like, what? Yeah. Eric Clapton <laughs> did the, the music for this? Yeah. And, but it's, it was, it's so often it's, it's different, it's different people. And, and it's hmm. not like, and from what I understand, again, you know, don't know for sure, but having met him, he seemed like a really nice guy. And that's what everybody said about him. And, you know, when I was reading mm -hmm. all these remembrances of him, that he was really nice. So it's not like he was difficult to work with and nobody wanted to come back. He just, I think he was kind of agnostic about who he worked with. Yeah. Which I sense. think having like having all of his films have a similar consistency i guess kind of just that maybe that's another one of his auteur thumbprints is like despite working with so many like a, a variety of different people he always has like kind of a similar feel to mm. all of his films yeah and I... like that's something i've noticed with like kubrick is all of his films are different genres. They all feel different, mm -hmm. but they all have this very Kubrickian feel about them. Mostly just like him kissing his own ass, but yeah. But they all are very like Kubrick in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, something that I found extremely hilarious is that the first three scenes there were three different people. It's all naked people. Naked people. It was. I was not expecting it. I found it very hilarious. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't remember. It wasn't. It's as obvious as it is. I think it wasn't until I was much older because I, I kind of grew up with this movie, um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I was much older that I was like, "Wait a minute! We meet everybody naked for the first time in this film." <laughs> yeah, and I also think it's very, very funny. It's like when we first meet Danny Glover. It's like his entire family bursts into the bathroom when he's just like sitting that naked was weird. in the tub. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "This is weird." Did this happen in the eighties? Was that just normal? Yeah, because I was like, "Why are you?" <laughs> your very young kids like into the bathroom with your naked husband in the bathtub yeah but then it's also like at the end of the fourth one they come in and she puts a towel over like over even though there's like a ton more bubbles in the tub at the end of the fourth one when they all come into the bathroom yeah she like puts a, a towel over him yeah yeah it's <laughs> like oh that's a nice callback I, I i did think that was i did think that was i always thought that was a little strange but you know some different families deal with things differently it was also uh i feel like our generation is uh a little bit more um i guess reserved in that way because i because I, cause like mm -hmm. i think i think sort of around our generation people stop showering at, at in like in gym class but if you talk to like parents generation they did and and, you, and all yeah I, and the idea of showering with any of the people i went to school with is not something that i ever wanted to do well see it's like i they may have done that when i went to high school but i took gym class in the summer uh-huh so it's like literally i went to school yep. like i i rode the bus i did health class and then i had gym class and then i rode the bus home yeah and then I took a shower at home. There was, there were, there were like all of this, all of my schools that I went to had showers. Nobody used them. I think mm -hmm. we only used the showers before we did our swimming class. Because mm -hmm. like you had to shower before you got in the pool. Right. But uh, I think that's the only time I've ever used any of the showers at yeah. the high school that I went to. And so, you know, maybe somebody who is already six or seven in 1987, maybe it's, you know, casual nudity is a little bit more normal, I guess. It's just weird. It's apparent. I mean, yeah. your parent, who, who, 
know. It's a weird scene. Yeah. It's a very... I was really, really weirded out by it. It's a very weird way to introduce a character. Let me just say that. I will also point out that Danny Glover, while Mur- Roger Murtaugh is 50 years old, celebrating his 50th birthday, um, Danny Glover was 41 years old. And Mel Gibson was only 30 when the movie was filmed, although his character is supposed to be 38. Yeah. That was one of my fun facts. Yeah. And so so I remember it was maybe just like a couple months ago that somebody posted a thing and they said, Danny Glover was 41 years old when he was too old for this shit. And I read that. I was like, oh, my God, that's five years older than me. Granted, I already feel like I'm... Too old You're for too, this old, shit. For this too shit. old for this shit, <laughs> and 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 I've and I've and I've said it unironically without any intent on on like quoting this film, where I just like at the end of a long shooting day or a long couple days shooting, and I like I remember a few months ago I was like getting out of the the van with the camera, and I just said I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he only says it once though in the movie, right? Twice. Okay, I, th- I thought so. I was like, I feel like. Yeah, it happens. It happens uh, when when he gets when when he the crushes yeah. Riggs, thinking that he's a gunman in the police um, in the police station. Oh yeah, yeah. And you that's know, right, and then Riggs right, flips right. him, and then he he says, "Roger, meet your new partner." And he goes, oh, "I'm too old mm-hmm. for this shit." And then at the very <laughs> end of the movie, when Sam the dog runs in, and you hear the the commotion chasing the cat, and he and mm-hmm. he's and everybody else is inside, and he's still standing outside, and he screws in the one of the Christmas lights, and then he says, "I'm too old for this." And Which I, I don't is think a Running gag. Yeah, yeah. Because the wife does it a couple times times too. I noticed that was actually, and once again, it's a nice little piece of business that that doesn't necessarily have anything to do other than emulate real life. Yeah. Um. But fun fact is, everyone always says I'm getting too old for this shit. Like that's the line, and he does not say it in this. He only says it in the three preceding films. Right. He Mm -hmm. only says I'm too old for this shit in this one. Yeah. One last thing I have before we go into fun facts, unless somebody else has something else. I I found it very interesting that his oldest daughter has a very progressive stance on marijuana. Oh, yeah. That, so does um, Donner. Back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was grounded for smoking a joint in the house. Yep. And she like gets mad at Murtaugh being like, hey, you let me drink beer, but you won't let me smoke a joint. Yeah. And he said, yeah, because it's and illegal. He's like, well... Yeah. Well, what's I thought uh, that was very funny. Well, so it's funny because because Donner is is he's very outspoken about a number of different things, and if you watch his films carefully, you'll see um, he's anti-smoking, and and was a smoker himself for a really long time, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. he gave up smoking and then became very much so anti-smoking, and so you'll see this movie's pro-smoking. Ah. That's because he was still smoking. We, By number three, it's a full plot point, and the anti-smoking. Yeah, it's it's literally a running joke in the third one um, about uh, about Riggs trying to quit. I'm pretty sure there's there's a there's a like a fridge magnet on the side of the refrigerator in the in the Murtaugh the apartheid kitchen. yeah the mm-hmm. uh, apartheid mm-hmm. and and Donner was really outspoken about that. The second one's very much about apartheid. Yes, it is. Um, he, um, he is, um, an outspoken proponent of fur is murder and that shows up just in the background of his films. It's never his, um, politics sort of politics are never shoved down your throat, but if you are looking at the film, you'll spot them, you know, and they're just, they're Mm -hmm. just there as sort of like a backdrop. But yeah, he, and I think I want to say that like his picture on IMDb is even a picture of him pointing to a button that he he's wearing that says I think something something to that effect you know for his murder or something like that you know he he cared about things um, he was a vocal 
proponent of and and yeah and he was also very much so against pop being a you know schedule one controlled substance and 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 amy you say that the daughter has a progressive stance but even murtaugh has a fairly progressive stance because you know he's like well it's illegal you know and it's like shoulder shrug it's illegal it's not like i think it's terrible and it's like well you got grounded because you did this thing and he's not but he's not overreacting about it he's like well it's illegal i have to punish you a little bit you're just yeah he's kind of like a parent nowadays kind of yeah yeah like if i was a parent back in indiana and my kid i got them smoking i'm like i don't really care about it Mm -hmm. but i mean the state cares about it right but it's like you're in my house so i'm just like you know what whatever yeah and 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 that's and that's the thing is like even though I was making the joke about policing in Reagan's America, you know Reagan's America was also very much so uh, just say no to drugs and and all that. And yeah. and this movie doesn't have that attitude about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I, I, I mean I've, I feel like I've been doing a lot of the talking. Is there anybody else have anything to say before Amy gets on to fun facts? No, I mean, this is your episode, Joe. This is the Richard Donner yeah. show. So, <laughs> I mean, you should be doing all the talking. You're schooling us. <laughs> Amy, go for it. Okay. Um, fun fact number one is that this was the first um, cell phone ever used on screen. Oh, wow. That is a paraphrase because I don't think I pulled the actual fact, but that was just something I remembered. Um, I thought it would be interesting to talk about. That is interesting because that, that, that phone, that big suitcase unit that, that Murtaugh's yeah. like, I mean, my yeah. mom, my mom was an on-call nurse in the early nineties and she had a similar cell phone unit and, and the battery was like this big listener. I'm, it's I'm huge. It's like bigger than a king size candy bar. Like it was, anno- it was like almost, yeah, it's like the, it was the of size of a baby. I was going to say you get for, um, like s'mores. Yeah. It's almost like a really narrow VHS cassette. You know, like it was mm-hmm. a bit like half of that phone was the battery and it had a big antenna that was at, at least like six inches long. And then the phone plugged into the, the brick with the normal phone cord. And um, and then the and then the, the, the phone unit itself had like a suitcase handle so you could like carry it around. Yeah. And so so, yeah, whenever I see that phone, I always I always think about that. I always think about that phone <laughs> in particular. You're like, I've seen this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to speed through the rest of these fun facts because I got a lot of recastings as well. Okay. Um, casting director director Marion Doherty first suggested teaming Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. She arranged for Gibson to fly in from his home in Sydney while Glover was flown in from Chicago where he was appearing in a play to read through the script. Hmm. Um, Jackie Swanson performed The High Fall on her own, trained by legendary stuntman Dara Robinson. Wow. Also, the stunt was done using an airbag covered with a life-size painting of the driveway and cars, which, like a foreground miniature, visually blends into the real scene. Thus, the editor was able to hold on the shot until just as she makes contact with the airbag for greater realism. Christ, that would have been terrifying. Can you imagine leaping, knowing it's an airbag, but looking down and it looking kind of like the street and cars? Yeah. yeah jesus like i would not have been able to do that uh-uh no this is sort of a recasting but not really mel gibson turned down starring roles in the untouchables and the fly to do wow. this wow he could have been jeff goldblum huh. no he couldn't have <laughs> nobody can be jeff goldblum <laughs> <laughs> i wonder who he would have been in the untouchables because that's that's a great film if you guys haven't seen that one i don't think i've seen the untouchables kevin seen costner, parts of it kevin costner sean connery that's brian de palma robert right? de niro yeah brian de palma andy garcia it's a great movie here's one for 
I guess it kind of is for, for Johnny, I think. I don't know how either of you feel about this band I'm going to talk about. But Blackie Demet, the real real name, John Kiedis, portrays one of the drug dealers. Um, the guy who gets rigged with the knife in the, head, in the headlock at the Christmas tree farm uh-huh. is the father of Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I was like, when I saw him on screen, I was like, he looks really, really familiar. Hmm. And then I read yeah. this and I was like, Oh, he looks a lot like Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you, I didn't notice it either, but I also got that same feeling of like, oh, this person looks familiar. Have I seen him in something before? I was like, yeah, maybe he's got one of those faces. And now that you said that, I was like, ah, huh. Interesting. Makes sense. Yeah. A uh, couple more. This one I pulled, there was like three or four different ones talking about what I'm going to talk about. But I pulled this one because it was the shortest. The rest of them were like four paragraphs long a piece. But in Shane Black's first draft of the script from 85, Riggs and Murtaugh were much darker characters with very grim backstories. They both had flashbacks of their time in Nam, with Murtaugh at one point remembering how he accidentally killed a young soldier with his bare hands during intense military training before he'd even went to war. And Riggs remembering how great a killing machine he was and how many people he had killed working as assassin for the CIA which is why U.S. and V.C. soldiers considered him a legend. Mm. The script also had more of a backstory for Joshua, who, like Riggs, was also working as a CIA assassin in Vietnam, and he also had a legendary status. Due to all of these things, due to all the things that he did in the war, which explains how they each knew each other's names and reputations in the film. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Richard Donner was approached by Canon Films to direct Superman for The Quest for Peace, but turned it down to make this. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of talked about this already. Franco Zeffirelli reportedly decided to offer Mel Gibson the role of Hamlet after seeing his suicide contemplation scene. Wow. And then this final fun fact before I get to recastings is my absolute personal favorite. To add tension between the actors, the director told both Gary Busey and Mel Gibson that it was the other who kept eating the last waffle. <laughs> I love that because... And it was Richard Donner the whole time. <laughs> he was just like, man, these are good-ass w- waffles. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. On Superman, he, he needed Gene Hackman to shave his mustache to play Lex Luthor, and, and Hackman really didn't want to do it. And then he, and Richard Donner said, listen, if you shave your mustache... I'll shave my mustache. And so Gene Hackman was like, all right, okay. And then comes to set. He's, he's you know, freshly shaved. Donner shows up with a mustache on. And then <laughs> and Hackman's like, wait a minute. And, and then Donner peeled off the fake mustache that he was wearing. <laughs> Jokester. Yeah. Uh, let's see. General McAllister. Lee, Ma- Lee Marvin, Bruce Stern, Richard Jordan, James Earl Jones, Peter Boyle, and Richard Duvall were all considered for the role of Jenner McAllister. Huh. Wow. Heavy hitters. Um, uh, what was that, Johnny? Oh, I said just had heavy, heavy hitters. I was just making a comment. I don't oh, like yeah. Acting chops. Director Leonard Nimoy was one of the choices considered for directing, but he didn't feel comfortable doing action movies, and he was working on Three Men, a ba- three men and a Baby at the time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. That would be a very uh, weird movie. That would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is going to be kind of two combined into one, um, but then I'll split it up for each character. Uh, Stephen Lang and Ron Perlman were considered for the roles of Riggs and Mr. Joshua. Hmm. Uh, for Joshua, just because it's a little bit shorter, John Saxon was the first choice for the role, but he was uh, busy shooting Nightmare 3, um, Dream Warriors. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good one. I love that. I love Nightmare 3. It's so good. James Woods, Christopher Walken, Tommy Lee Jones, Keith Carradine, and Scott Glenn were considered. Uh, Steve Railsback was offered the role of Joshua, but fearing being typecast after playing Charles Manson in Helter Skelter, he turned down the role and said he later said he regretted it. Hmm. And then I mean, yeah, we got a lot yeah. for we got a lot for Riggs. Oh yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. deep breath. 
Shane Black had stated that he wanted William Hurt to play the role of Riggs, but execs informed him that Hurt was too obscure for the part. Huh. William Hurt? I can't imagine that at yeah. all. Wouldn't he be, like, too old at that age? I mean, I know he's not he's old now, but, I mean, even... No, he would have been, I think, the no. right age. I think he's around the same age as uh, Mel Gibson. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Uh, Michael Bean was considered after Donner had seen him in Terminator, but he was filming Aliens at the time. Yeah. Uh, Michael Neary was considered as well, but turned it down and did a different buddy cop movie called The Hidden, which was also set in L.A. Oh, which speaking of being set in L.A., I realized during that um, drive-by scene when Riggs is talking to the stripper that it's raining a lot in Los Angeles, even for December. Oh, well, that's <laughs> climate change. I think it used to rain more here. <laughs> Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Because <laughs> I was like, God damn, it's like, it's like raining so hard. And I, I like, it blew my mind. Honest, like, I, I mean, um, I'm, I'm kind of being flippant, but, um, but really, I, I remember it raining more in L.A. than it does now. Yeah. yeah. El Nino, baby. Mm-hmm. If it was an El remember Nino that? year, it would have been pouring. I think I visited um, in, like, early 2017, and it just, like, rain for the entire week i was oh yeah Mm -hmm. um british actor nick barry was approached to play the part of riggs but barry struggles with american accent and insistence on doing a solo single for the film sent producers looking elsewhere Hmm. you know it's 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 funny because you can hear mel gibson struggling with an american accent sometimes in this movie i didn't notice it every now and then you can hear australian slip in for sure. But I think that's because I'm, I'm used to, like, hearing... Anytime I see Mel Gibson, he's usually doing an American accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, so you, I feel like it's just... It kind of... It's it's, it's just normal. Mel Gibson I don't think voice. I've ever heard him do his Australian. Yeah. It's how he talks. <laughs> okay. And now here, big deep breath, because I'm going to list off a lot of heavy hitters. Like, mm. if you thought the heavy hitters for Joshua were heavy hitters, just wait. Okay. Christopher Reeve, Kurt Russell, Patrick Swayze, Richard Gere, Kevin Costner, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford... Christopher Lambert, Jeff Bridges, Alec Baldwin, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, Jeff Goldblum, Charlie Sheen, Nick Cage, John Travolta, William Peterson, Al Pacino, Dennis Quaid, Nick Nolte, Don Johnson, Tom Selleck, Sylvester Stallone, Mark Harmon, Richard Dean Anderson, Schwarzenegger, Mickey Rourke, Michael Madsen, Rutger Hauer, Stephen Lang, and Bruce Willis were considered for the role of Martin Riggs, but all turned it down for different reasons. Uh, I mean, that's all. That's basically everybody working in Hollywood. (laughs) That's all, yeah. like, yeah, action stars, or even just stars, really. Yeah. Cause, Male cause, leading leading men in Hollywood in the, around that time. Well, it's funny that, that Michael Keaton would be in that group because he was a comedian. Like, he was known for, for being funny. And when he was cast in, in Batman, everybody was like, what? You? It would be like, it would be like if, if somebody cast... Um, um, Heath Ledger as the Joker. Well, uh, <laughs> no, at the time, maybe, at the time, a little bit, a little bit. It, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of, of somebody. It would be like, if, but I think mm-hmm. like Mel Gibson did a great job at at combining the comedy and drama in this. Oh yeah, yeah. Th- and this movie flows back and forth from that because there's like, you know, there's there's the suicide scene, the contemplation suicide scene, and then the next scene. Is that uh, policewoman trying to pr- rehearse with the police choir, and she mm-hmm. and and the one like starts early and she pokes him with the nightstick and she's like, "Come on, you know." And it's like that's yeah. funny. Yeah. That's really funny. 
and it's right after oh, the a really one, two, three, scene. false start gag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so like this movie slides back and forth really easily on mm-hmm. drama and and my comedy. personal favorite out of all four is the opening scene of uh, the fourth one. Oh, mm-hmm. that that is Johnny. You have that to was watch a really good scene. Three. It was yeah, um, John, it was really just, good. Yeah, Johnny, go amazing. watch all three of them like this. Okay, weekend bye. <laughs> because. The fourth one, I think the fourth one is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's like the opening scene, especially, is really great. Chris Rock is in it. Yep. He is really nice. great. Mm-hmm. Um, Jet Li is in the fourth one as well. Um, so also nice. Uh, so funny about that one. I Jet Li was asked to slow down like his his movements because the camera wasn't able to catch what he was doing. Oh, I'm not surprised. And uh, <laughs> that opening scene with the with the armored shooter is um, actually really happened in North Hollywood. Um, it some in the, like the early '90s, middle '90s, something mm-hmm. like that. Two guys in improvised body armor. Um, with I think. Oh yeah, then they held up like a fucking bank. Yes, they did. And they had like heavy artillery. They did. And they had like well, they had heavy. They had a lot of guns. They had a lot of guns. They had automatic guns. And this was back when the police were not. Uh, it wasn't standard procedure for militarized. them to have AR-15. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, they weren't militarized. They didn't have AR-15s in the trunk of every of every cruiser. Isn't that like one of the reasons why? Yes, it they is. Got militarized. Yes, yeah. because all they had were like shotguns and revolvers against these guys. Yeah. Um. So that scene's actually based in reality. Hmm. Yeah. If uh, I if I know the scene you guys are talking about, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do have it, one like yeah. final um kind of fun fact slash recasting since we already mentioned this a little bit but mel gibson and bruce willis were considered for each other's roles in lethal weapon and die hard mm-hmm. and both movies were produced by joe silver with music by michael Kamen. Yep. um willis was offered the role of riggs but turned it down a year later did die hard gibbs gibson was offered john mcclain along with his co-stars from the expendables harrison Ford, expendables three harrison ford sylvester stallone and arnold schwarzenegger but they all turned it down Coincidentally, the script for Die Hard with a Vengeance was briefly considered to be filmed as a Lethal Weapon sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know Interesting. if I don't know if Lethal Weapon. I, in fact, I'm I'm sure Lethal Weapon doesn't fall into this. Well, actually, maybe it does. But I know all of the Die Hard sequels, um, with exception to the fifth Die Hard film, um, none of them were written originally to be a Die Hard film. They were. You know, and this up like something else. Yeah, they were like spec scripts, just... original mm-hmm. something or another, and then grafted onto. Die Hard was like grafted onto these original ideas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, speaking of mm. Die Hard, though, something that came up, um, you had mentioned this was written by Shane Black before we watched it, and so watching this, I was like thinking about how Die Hard is always considered like a Christmas movie. I personally don't consider it. I think it's an action movie set during Christmas. Would you consider this, like Lethal Weapon, the first one, in that similar vein where it's an action movie set during Christmas or it's an actual Christmas movie? Because I feel like they talk, they do have more Christmassy stuff in this than in Die Hard. So I, I'm, I'm very loose with my consideration of what is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. If it happens during Christmas and Christmas is like a, a hallmark of the film, Yes, it's a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. What the <laughs> fact that uh, the fact that it it doesn't have like it, if you're talking about Christmas movie where like it like Christmas needs to be a main point in the story versus a backdrop, then I would probably say no because it is a backdrop. Yeah. It's just it's it's very much Shane Black. The other thing I was going to say that's very much Shane Black is the uh, seaside home attacked by a helicopter. That's also mm-hmm. like one of his things that he loves to do. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a setting. It's a backdrop. It's Christmas is not yeah. an important part of the plot. It could happen any time of year. Um, but uh, but the, I mean, it starts with Jingle Bell Rock. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. That, like, uh, it does start with Jingle Bell Rock, and it did throw me off a little bit. I was like, oh, well, I was like, I was like a Shane Black, so I'm not surprised. But like, this movie does not. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. If it has if it has Jingle Bell Rock, it's automatically a Christmas movie. Uh huh. Yeah. That I was like, I mean, I, I, like, the majority of the movie, I was like, this is not a Christmas movie. It just happens to be set during Christmas. But the opening of it feels so much like the opening of Santa Claus. Like, the mm. way it's kind of, like, winding oh, through a yeah. way. And with the opening of the Santa Claus, it's winding through that office building. Oh, yeah. Um, huh. Like, in the Christmas party. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, it, it, it very much reminded me of the opening of the Santa Claus that was made 10 years later. That's funny. Huh. I, I would I will say that Scrooged is absolutely one hundred percent a Christmas movie. Oh which yeah, which is another like, Donner film. Scrooged is the pinnacle of Christmas movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like my favorite Christmas movie, but it is a Christmas movie. Definitely. I mean, it's based off a of Christmas Carol, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. with Bill no. Murray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I recommend it. It's very I've funny. Seen... It's I've very good. Bill Murray. So you guys. I, I kind of I know what Joe and I are gonna say, but Johnny, does it hold up? Yeah, I'm saying I liked it. I'm saying it's a, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I just didn't enjoy it as much as maybe I don't know as much as I thought I would. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I found it lacking in some in some areas, and I, and I think it is just because it is the it's the original. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. and everything everything that's come since it has built on it, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just used to seeing that instead of you know. It's like seeing a blueprint to a house versus actually seeing the house. I Definitely. Suppose. Or or like yeah. there's like a normal like post-war house versus, mm-hmm. you know, the architectural marvel that somebody would build today. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I understand. Like, I think I think it's a good movie. I think it's a really good movie. Um, I would like to see the sequels. I'm interested in, I'm yeah. interested in seeing I the sequels. I recommend watching them. Because I remember, I remember liking the bits that I had seen, especially with Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Oh, Joe Pitch is not in this first one." Yeah, interesting. Okay, but he is—he is very much so in the other ones. And 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 like I said, they're all really consistent films. They really yeah. Which was mm-hmm. yeah. I I was yeah. I didn't know. So I mean, we're talking about Die Hard. Like Die Hard sequels, fucking suck all over the Except place. The one. I love you know the mm-hmm. so the second one. I the second Die Hard, I believe, works only because it's brilliantly edited. Mm. Um, because it, it has kind of story flow issues. I really mm. really like Die Hard with a Vengeance. I like that it's an the third ens- one. Yeah, I like that it's an ensemble. I think Samuel L. Jackson and and Bruce Willis are wonderful together. Um, and I love that it's kind of it's it doesn't have the claustrophobia of the first film, stuck in a building. It has the mm-hmm. claustrophobia of being stuck inside New York and needing to get around. Um, mm-hmm. And um, oh yeah, that one's good too. I do. Like yeah, that. I really really. In fact, Dark Knight Rises. And Die Hard with a Vengeance kind of feel like the same to me, you know, where Dark Knight mm. Rises is an ensemble and it's and it's mm-hmm. and it's set specifically within the city. And there's a lot of um, there's like a lot of people get a chance to shine and be the hero, not just our main character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I'll check. I'll check them out. Something else I will say about the sequels is that um, a lot of like action sequels become very formulaic. Mm-hmm. Um, they mm-hmm. they take the formula like, of the oh. first one and copy off of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I will say the the sequels to uh, Lethal Weapon are not formulaic. I feel like right they yeah. are very they're all very different and distinct from each other. In in the nice. in the same way, and actually, I I was 
I was forming like the nucleus of this thought, this whole conversation. And I just got there. But you know how the Marvel films, they each ep- each movie feels like an installment in a TV series, and and no matter what, they're still moving everything forward. Each character's always, you know, it's not like Tony Stark and Iron Man is not the same person as Tony Stark in Endgame. He has grown mm-hmm. and changed. Um, yeah. over the course of the movies. Thor has grown and changed over the course of the movies. And the Lethal Weapon movies do the same thing. The Mar- the, the Riggs and Murtaugh from the first film grow and change and become different people over the course of all, all four films. Their families mm-hmm. grow, their, their lives change, and it's all um, really, really deftly handled. Um, and, and, and it's kind of nice to see that it's, it's not in a static world where it's like, oh, Riggs is the crazy one. Murtaugh's the one who's like, don't get me killed. You know, it's, 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 Mm -hmm. it it, it becomes more than just that rather than, um, like, you know, line drawings of caricatures, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The characters grow instead of saying the same. Yes. Yeah. I think they're, it's a very great, um, kind of quadrilogy Mm -hmm. of films. Yeah. Tight. I'm gonna check them out. I'm looking forward to it, actually. And listener, let us know what you think of Lethal Weapon. And if you haven't watched it, watch all four of them. They're all on HBO. It's their fun time. Yeah. And you can let us know what you think once you do watch them all on Twitter or Instagram at Nostalgitis, N-O-S-T-A-L-G-I-T-I-S, or email us at NostalgiaEffectPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to be kind, rewind, and we're too old for this shit. Yeah. And and uh and Dick wherever you are, thank you very much.